This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to Total Saints Podcast 15. My name is Ben Stanfield, at Ben Stanners on Twitter, and this is the podcast going to the heart of all things Saints. I'm pleased to say that I'm joined not by one, but two guests this week. Firstly, making an unscheduled appearance in the end, it's regular guest of the show, Adam Leach from the Southern Daily Echo. Adam, you were meant to be away on uh, much-earned leave, I believe, but did you decide in the end that it was such a huge must-win fixture that you couldn't bear to miss it? Well, as you know, Ben, there is no such thing as a must-win game, so uh, that wasn't the reason at all. It's a very long and boring story, but actually, in the end, I was pretty pleased to uh, to be in attendance today, I have to say, for the game, because it was um, refreshing to see some goals, and, and actually several people came up to me and said, oh, you're actually going to have something good to talk about on the podcast <laughs> this week, aren't you? And I said, well, yeah, hopefully. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, Peter Howard, uh, your colleague at Sunday, has gone up in my estimations this week because he's not afraid to use the term must win. So I've got, I've got a lot of admiration for him after that. I'll be giving him a firm beating next time. <laughs> now you've reminded yeah. me. So, well, well, as ever, it's great to have you on with us. So thanks for that. Our second guest is a Saints fan who, in my view, has shown herself to be one of the most prudent and well judged around. Always willing to have an intelligent and constructive conversation with people on Twitter, and I'm sure, in no doubt, uh, the real world as well. It's Lucy Heinert, so we're delighted to welcome Lucy. Lucy, thanks for joining Adam and I. How are you keeping? Good, thanks. Much better after that performance. Before we go on to, to the show itself, I, I, I was interested, I'm sure people listening are, there's obviously lots of people that know you. We're, we're interested to, to find out how you got into following Saints, Lucy. Um, so my dad took nine-year-old me to the Dell when we moved to Southampton in 2000. Um, my dad was one of those football drifters. I can't call him a glory hunter because he followed teams like Plymouth Argyle. Uh, he just, just never really committed full-time to a club, so every time he moved house, he'd go and watch the local team or whatever. So, um, But since that day, we've been a Saints family, um, yeah. aside from my mum, who has literally no interest. Um, 
16-year-old Theo Walcott saw to that when he, a wayward strike hit her in the face on a, her one and only visit to St Mary's. Yeah, and oh since then, she, she won't go. So we've given up on that one. But my Probably, brother yeah. and I... Probably wise with some of our shooting at the moment as well, Lucy. So, yeah. but, uh, but there we go. And you're, and you're... Every outfield player had a shot today, didn't they? Yeah, they did. I know. I saw that stat. Did you see that stat, Adam? Every, every single outfield player for Saints had a shot today. Oh, well, yeah, and it, four of them went in the goal. I know, I know. <laughs> Honestly, I know, I know. Um, and you're, you're obviously Sheffield-based now, Lucy, aren't you? So you're putting the miles to get down to watch Saints as and when you go. Yeah, it really depends on how the M1 behaves on a Saturday morning, really. Um, there have been several matches where I've missed five or ten minutes at the beginning because it's taken us five or six hours to get down. But we uh, we do our best. Um, I'm now married to a Newcastle fan, so that kind of divides interests slightly. Uh, but yeah, since 2010, I've been supporting Saints from Yorkshire. So basically, since it got good, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's been. Uh, we we started off with Tranmere and Oldham and things like that, and now it's Burnley and Stoke. So all of the northern highlights. But um, no, it's been it's been good watching them away, which we tend to do more than we do watch them at home, really. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know the feeling, having uh, moved up to Edinburgh myself in 2010. I've uh, like like you, it's uh, an arm and a leg to get back down there, and uh, I'm, I'm just constantly hoping that Carlisle United will eventually get promoted to the Premier League, so that uh, it's only an hour and a half down the road. So, and, and obviously last season I lost Sunderland and Middlesbrough as well, so that was two. So I've only got Newcastle to look forward to, really. But uh, it is you tough. two, by the way, are completely the opposite to all of us that live down here. Yeah. on the south coast because we don't want any of the northern clubs they can all get relegated as far as we're yeah. concerned yeah absolutely so there we go what, what's some of your um, favourite memories from your, your years sort of tracking around following Saints then Lucy uh, well we went to the FA Cup final obviously but um, I was only what like 12 I didn't and we were in a, like everyone was standing up so I don't think I actually saw a lot of that game um, <laughs> but obviously you know despite the loss I think there was a lot of pride in that I don't know. It's actually difficult because we had season tickets for that dire relegation from the championship. And I, I have all these memories of that Watford 3-0 loss where I remember all the children basically watching balloons <laughs> go round instead of watching the game. Uh, yeah. Two missed penalties. Oh, it, was, it was dire. But um, no, good memories. Johnson's paint trophy, obviously. I mean, yep, what a great yep. cup that is. Um, <laughs> uh, a few good away wins. I can't think of any in particular right now, but... Uh, no, it's been generally. I always think of my Saints things as positive. It's much. I always find it much easier going to watch games than watching them on telly. Mm, I don't know about yeah. you guys. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, television is uh, is one way to do it this, this day and age. Although I was um, obviously your stat earlier, Adam, that you tweeted, I was uh, keen to get straight in there with the fact that we are unbeaten on television this season. Which is uh, bearing in mind that song that everyone used to sing. Which uh, bearing, you know, this is a podcast that some children may listen to. I won't sing it out loud, but obviously we used to be, you know, what on television, but we seem to be all right on it now, don't we? Yeah, and you need to be as well, because they've got so many games on TV in the season now, you can't afford to be too camera shy, that's for sure. No, totally. Well, all, all their hair was looking good today, which was good, so uh, excellent. So Cool, well, it's a, it's a pleasure to have you on with us, Lucy, and we look forward to talking about some of the goings-on at Saints currently. In Total Saints podcast this week, we'll be reflecting on the Everton game, getting Lucy's views on the likes of Pellegrino and the board, um, and previewing two tough-looking away trips this coming week at Manchester City and Bournemouth. This is the Total Saints podcast, episode 15.
Everton then, Adam. I was pretty nervous before the game. I think probably a lot of Saints fans were. It was kind of, uh, it was almost that feeling of being in the dentist waiting room. You know, when you you sat there waiting for him to come and get you, and all all you're thinking about is all the bad things that are going to happen. But uh, it was a, a fantastic 4-1 win in the end. Obviously, one swallow doesn't make a summer, but I think every single player puts uh, you know real effort in. You, you made a, a very valid point, Adam, after the Liverpool game last week that there was a mood around the camp that they felt they needed to probably come back and deliver a performance this week. And boy, did they do that. Well, yeah, it was a great performance and uh, a credit to the players as well because, as we spoke about after Liverpool, the mood was the mood was dark, definitely, at Anfield, being around them. But I also just, just felt and hoped that that would be the wake-up call they needed and, and that if there was anybody there who thought, well, we can kind of just give the minimum acceptable amount of effort and we'll still end up mid-table and that's that's literally the worst that can happen and I think that the, what happened in that game really uh, I think it shook a few other players and I think it, it shook a few people at the club as well it wasn't if you didn't see the game then then you might not have really realized from the result because 3-0 isn't uh, an absolute annihilation for a team away at Hanfield but actually the manner of the performance uh, the fact that the players pretty much dialed it in for the last uh, half an hour, certainly probably second half, really, or certainly a lot of them did. It, it, it wasn't good enough, and they were more than aware of that, and, and you could sense it. But but then actually turning that around and putting it right is another thing altogether, and especially when coming into this game, because of what happened, because of the results this season, the pressure was so immense in this game. It, it would have been easy to have kind of hidden away, uh, to not have not have played, not have showed that character in front of a home support as well, which, as Pellegrino said after the game, is they, they like playing in front of their own fans. It's, a bit, it's better for them, but actually, in a way, it can occasionally become a bit of a hindrance. And there was kind of that worry that if things went badly against Everton, uh, or they didn't go brilliantly anyway, that there would be... Um, a, a lot more pressure from the crowd and that, and that might negatively impact the players. But the fact that they showed a lot of character and a lot of bottle was to their great credit, obviously helped by the absolute ineptitude of Everton. I mean, to talk about playing the right team at the right time, mm. uh, you couldn't have handpicked a better opposition as it turned out today because I, I, I was absolutely aghast at how dreadful they were. I mean, it, it would, uh, in fairness... I don't want to take anything away from Saints, but I did feel that for a Premier League team, it, it would have been an effort to have not beaten them. You would have had to have, you'd have, had to have gone some not to have won that game, given how terrible they were. But nonetheless, they didn't only win it, but they won it very, very convincingly and um, with a good performance. And you can only beat what's in front of you. And to be fair, they absolutely annihilated what was in front of them. So hopefully this is a corner turned. The only shame is obviously it's Man City up next, Man City away. It's a real shame that, that they didn't couldn't get a performance like this uh, when they had the kind of run of fixtures and they might have got into a bit of a role because it's obviously going to be very hard at Man City. But I hope that they can at least approach that game now with a degree of confidence and, and almost kind of a bit of a free pass. Lucy, what did you make of the game? As, as Adam says there, a much, much needed three points. Yeah, and I think he, you know, he talks about confidence, and I think maybe the psychological element of beating Everton, who we know aren't a great side at the moment. Um, I think the psychology of it is more important almost than than the result. Um, I think he's he's right about City being a free pass in the sense that we're not really worried about the result, but it's about the attitude 
attitude and hoping that we can extend the kind of commitment and um, kind of belief that we saw saw out there. And so I think mm. that was probably one of the key points to take away apart from, you know, individual performances. I think it was really good that we saw, um, of course, it was War Prowse, Tadic and Bufal behind Austin. And we saw those three having a bit more freedom and fluidity in, in how they played, like they alternated possession a uh, position a lot and mm. um you know seemed to have uh, a greater freedom in what they were doing and and i think i know a lot of people will look at this and say what a great impact austin had on the game mm. but i mean it was about a whole team performance you know there were opportunities for him because the whole team functioned better uh, so i think that's that's important Absolutely, I would I would totally agree with that. And I've got to say, Adam, you you're right. I mean, I, I actually thought when Leighton Baines went off that it was going to cause us more of a problem because they looked shambolic down that side when uh, when he was on the pitch. And obviously, then he went off and they went to five at the back. But as as Lucy said there, Adam, Bufal, Tadic, um, Ward Prowse, they still seem to find some space and create, particularly second half, numerous opportunities. Yeah, and uh, if if we have felt a little bit like it's been a case of um, Maurizio. Uh, sort of rotating and just trying to desperately find a winning formula somewhere um, from within the team, then maybe he's hit upon it uh, today. I agree with, with Leighton Baines, and actually, funnily enough, when when he went off and they went to uh, five at the back, and you can't call it three at the back because it was five at the back, it, in a funny kind of way, it's kind of summed up Everton to a degree because they came with no with a game plan that was entirely inappropriate for playing against Saints anyway. Then they went to five at the back, and actually, through obviously the enforced uh, substitution, they actually that was the period when they actually started to get a bit, a little bit, tiny bit better because mm. Cedric wasn't getting so much room. Uh, Sigurdsson, who who looked totally and utterly lost out on the left wing, uh, looked like he almost had never played football before. He was stuck out there. Actually, went more central, and that was that was a great help to them. And obviously, the space closed up out wide for Cedric because uh, they had so many men behind the ball defensively but from Saints' attacking point of view yeah maybe this is a formula that works it was Saints this season they have got I mean the stats bear it out they have actually got quite a few uh, crosses in the box but obviously they haven't really had a striker that's ever going to thrive on crosses on the box with all due respect to Long and Gabbiadini their running of the channels and, and playing on the shoulder of the last man trying to get in behind when some of their teammates are trying to wang the ball in the box it's not really um not really necessarily singing from the same hymn sheet, but actually Austin obviously is a guy who thrives on balls into the box. And Saints were given so much freedom out wide uh, today once Everton's brief, I, I dare even call it really a rally because it wasn't a rally. They just briefly got not quite as bad for about 10 or 15 minutes. And then as soon as the second half started, they, they were as bad again. Uh, Saints sort of had the freedom to, to almost do what they want. Um so, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, obviously, the, the the great question with Charlie Austin will be the same question we ask all the time. It's just, if he is to play regularly, how long can he stay fit for? Can they keep him fit for the rest of the season? Will it be a few games? Because, obviously, this is a recurring problem or theme of, of his career that's that's probably held him back from getting further than, than he might have done. But if he is going to stay fit and Saints can, can keep players that can deliver the ball in the team... Then, then it adds, it adds an awful, awful lot more to them, I think. And also, uh, have to say as well how how impressed I was again by Ryan Bertrand and this weird. Um, 
I don't I, I don't I can't even think that it's a coincidence now that Bertrand seems to play at his absolute best when Nathan Redmond isn't in front of him. Um, I totally agree. Uh, which is a shame in a way for Redmond because obviously he does offer something else that they haven't got. But Bertrand doesn't seem to be able to uh, produce the kind of performance he did today when when Redmond's in, in the side and when he's got a player in front who's sort of prepared to tuck inside a bit more and allow him to be more of the width. He, he does seem to thrive and that was obviously a huge outlet for Saints. I mean, he, he assisted on two of the goals. So he's a, obviously a key player and a key attacking player as well as defensively. And I think that they need to think more and more about how to get him into the game because he, he really is a threat for them. Look, um, you mentioned Cedric, you mentioned Bertrand. There was uh, a couple of other players, Buffal. I mean, you know, we could go from 1 to 11 or 3 to 44, whatever numbers they are these days. But Wesley Hoyt particularly impressed me. I thought he was the standout centre-back for us out of the two of them today. But I, there was two players I just wanted us to spend five minutes talking about. Firstly, Adam, Pierre-Emil Hoiberg. I've championed him a few times this season. I'm going to take credit for that, obviously. Um, I remember during the Wolves game talking about, you know, why he hadn't maybe had more opportunities to get involved. Again, Pellegrino's taken a lot of credit for, for the result today, and a lot of it justified, but let's be honest, the Pierre-Emil Hoiberg selection was probably forced on him by Romeo being um, suspended. Obviously, he could have played other players in there, I appreciate that, but in terms of Hoiberg, he's someone that's hardly had a look in this season, yet he's come in, he's been absolutely full of energy, he hasn't stopped running all game, and he's, he's really taken his chance there and, and given the manager something to think about. I mean, you look at him and Charlie Austin, really, there's two players who had a point to prove. There's two players who really haven't had much opportunity uh, under this manager. He's at least stuck them in and, and they've done the business. And that's, uh, of course, that's credit to the manager because part of the art of management is knowing the right times to put people in, the right times not to put people in. It will be interesting because it is an interesting dynamic now. Obviously, him and Steve Davis did uh, well in there today. But Oriol Romeu returns from suspension now. Mario Lamina obviously is probably going to be considered fit enough to start either this game or Bournemouth. And when he's got Lamina and Romeu fit and available, is he going to put uh, really put Davis and Hoiberg in there, or is this just a, a very short-term thing? I, I, I probably suspect Romeu and Lamina are, are the long-term pairing that he sees in there at the moment. So. As well as he did, and he did do very well, I'll be intrigued to see how long his run in the team lasts now. Before I go on to talk, I wanted to ask Lucy about the other player you mentioned there. That was the second one, Charlie Austin. From my point of view as a fan, and I'm sure, you know, again, be interested to get Lucy's view on this, but I want to see players fighting for the share. And it's a bit like the, the centre-back Tom Bowler that we've been talking about the last few weeks, Adam, where uh, obviously he seems to shift and change those. But for, for me... And again, you obviously have to consider who the opposition are, and I appreciate Romeo's not done anything wrong to lose his place, but it's, it's got to be a positive that you want to see a player like Hoiberg come in there and say, right, this is a shirt that I want to keep, and make that decision for the manager really, really hard when you've got three essentially top-class centre midfielders fighting for two positions. Yeah, and I, I think um, a bit of consistency to the lineup might be quite beneficial. I mean, I know we've talked about the tombola, as you put it, at centre-back, that kind of there seems to be a slightly random way to the way Pellegrino's kind of picking his way through his options. And um, no, it was really refreshing to see Hoybier doing so well. I think what people forget about him is how young he is. He's younger than Ward Prowse and Redmond. He's very mature, I think, in the way he controls himself in, in central midfield. And it, there, there was a lot of responsibility, as bad as Everton were, for him to do a good job. Um, I totally agree with what Adam was saying about whether he can actually make this count for much in terms of making an impact. 
But I do hope it maybe makes Pellegrino think twice about playing Davis as a defensive midfielder. Because I don't think that's where he is best. I, I prefer him further up the pitch where he can properly influence uh, attacks. And I he's known for losing his runner when in defensive plays and, and so on. So I hope that when Lamina and Romelu aren't available, he, he considers Hoybier as a, as a genuine option rather than someone he turns to when his hand is forced, which it felt like it was today with you know, Lamina not being fully fit and Romelu being suspended. So I hope he becomes, you know, something of a genuine thought in Pellegrino's head. Um, as for Austin, yeah, I think, as you say, it's all about fitness um, and whether he can keep that going. I don't think this chopping and changing with strikers helps anyone. So if he's going to go with a striker, then maybe, maybe Austin's deserving of a run. The only thing I will say is that we do have a midweek game, and if he hasn't been playing 90 minutes for well, he doesn't ever play 90 minutes, but um, if he hasn't been starting games recently, I wonder if three games in a week could be tricky. Yep. But no, I think I think we just need a bit of a bit of consistency, and I, and I think a lot of players have made it more difficult, Pellegrino, which is always good. Totally, yeah. No, it wouldn't be a surprise to see maybe Gabby uh, or, or possibly Shane Long start up at uh, City, and then keep Charlie Austin fresh for um, Bournemouth, but then. I guess, as you say, you only get Matt Shoutness as a striker if you're playing games. I, I thought he spoke particularly well, Adam, after the game uh, on Salem. I was listening to it with Adam Blackmore where he said he'd spoken to the manager a few times and the manager had obviously made it clear that he would get his chance and to keep working hard. And I gave him some grief last week about tweeting about the horse racing at quarter to, to two or whatever it was. But to be fair to him, he's obviously gone away and worked hard. And, you know, we see lots of videos of him in training, banging in the goals, and he's got his chance and he's taken it, Adam. Well, what was interesting for me about the Austin situation was uh, after the game I was in on Maurizio's press conference. And uh, while for a lot of the uh, media there, the story was really an Everton-related story, from a Saints point of view, obviously the story was mainly Austin. And myself and a few others were were clearly asking Pellegrino about Austin and the fact that while the club have obviously struggled for goals, he hasn't really given him much of a chance and he's come straight in and scored a couple, what, why Why haven't you really given him much of a chance? What is it that made you decide to take the decision um, for the Everton game? And basically, he, he, he said, well, he deserved a chance. His, his training the last few weeks, things have changed. And, and the inference thereby is probably, well, what was the, uh, well, the question more is, what was his training like prior to a few weeks ago? But nonetheless, it, it just, it was a, a sign for the manager that he had recognised that Austin was clearly um, at a better level, whether that's mentally or physically or both, and had earned a chance to get a go in the team. And now, uh, obviously, for Charlie, the the thing is, as we said, keeping fit. He did take a fearful whack as well, and and he did come off partly, um, I think, with a bit of a hobble. So it, I would probably be surprised to see him out again at Man City, given that. Um, but all these sort of things happen, and all these things behind the scenes are always going on. There's all kinds of reasons why players might not play that are not just quite as straightforward as injury-related. And the manager also has to try and keep a large group of players happy. The flip side of having a big squad, as Saints now have, is that you've got a lot of players that aren't playing, especially when you don't have many games. And Pellegrino himself, in relation to Austin, uh, when asked about kind of, well, what was the problem with his attitude then, was was sort of saying, well, it's, it's hard because... This is a, a group of players who mainly sort of came together 
last season when the club played a, a huge amount of games. They had Europa League, they were uh, going great guns, obviously, in the League Cup um, and the Premier League campaign as well. So everybody was getting a game, even if it wasn't as regularly as they wanted. They were all playing because of the rotation as it was this year. No Europa League, knocked out of the League Cup in the first round. There's hardly any matches. Where it, well, well, they played 13 games and we're almost in December. I mean, there's been hardly any games for any of them to play in. So there obviously is frustration from those that aren't playing. And that is a, when you've got 25 players and you're only regularly picking from, say, 13 or 14, uh, you are going to have a difficult job as a manager because you're going to have quite a lot of players that are going to be relatively unhappy. Certainly a, a massive three points, I think, um, certainly in terms of our season. Hopefully it will be uh, a bit of a turning point, Man City aside, but certainly something to, to cherish for, for this weekend anyway. Before we go on to talk about the Man City and Bournemouth games then, Lucy, I was interested, obviously with you on the podcast, just to get your thoughts on a, a couple of things this season. So in terms of Pellegrino, Lucy, what, what, what have you sort of made of him as Saints manager this season? Um, I think I think it's been quite disappointing just because of the, the good run of fixtures we had and, and the feeling that we had to capitalise on them before this tough run near Christmas. I think there are major problems in terms of the kind of positivity towards attacking, you know, sort of taking chances. There was that interview with Oriol Romeu where he talked about how the manager had told them that even when they were attacking, they had to track their runners, which I hope was something that they were talking about defensively rather than, you know, the whole team. Uh, but that's that's been kind of the impression that you've got, that they're, they're, they're concerned about taking risks. And and I wonder how much is a, is a legacy from the end of last season when they were struggling to score goals also, um, and, you know, a lack of confidence. Uh, I think the the Brighton game sticks out as, as a game where we, we started well um, and then it all dropped off. You know, everyone pulled back behind the ball. There was a lack of urgency, which I think has is, is typified things, really. And and the game sort of ran away from us. And, and that's been, I think, my major frustration is that we have players that are capable but they don't move the ball fast enough and, and they don't try to really pressure teams and really really turn up the pressure for anything longer than 15, 15 20 minutes. Um, I think the, the one good point prior to this game was I, I thought the second half against Man United at home was, was a good one and, and we were unlucky not to find an equaliser and I, I think we had them really under the cosh. But um, generally, it, it's just been very frustrating, I think. Obviously, he's come to... Saints with a bit of a defensive record, you know, in terms of his coaching style and such like. Um, I mean, obviously that's rubbed off on the players a bit in terms of, as you say, the hangover with Puel and such like. But I, I guess that's been the frustration for a lot of us as fans is that he's, he's obviously keen to stick to his principles and to, today against Everton it very much paid off. But this this sort of tippy-tappy halfway line passing, that that's the sort of thing that I think has driven many of us up the wall. Yeah, and and I think you saw in the, in the first goal, it wasn't a, a kind of tippy-tappy try and pass it all the way to the goal it was a quick incisive counter-attack which was it's so unlike what we've seen so far this season but I think it was also the fact that we didn't have possession at that time that Everton were pushed a long way up the pitch and that we had space in behind which I think when we played this very slow-paced football we all move forward very slowly and, and then there's no space in behind which made the, the se constant selection of long even even more confusing because we play this very high possession football 
where the defence of the other team is really set right back. And then you're asking someone who makes their trade on, you know, running in behind, just running channels. There, there isn't there isn't anything for him to really do. And then, as Adam was saying earlier, you know, we've put lots of balls into the box, which I think actually, in fairness to the strikers, have lacked quality at times. And that's not really Long's game. You know, he's not, he's decent in the air for a little guy, but he's not really, you know, a centre forward that's going to smash in headers. Adam, before I ask Lucy again about um, the sort of players on the board, there was an interesting interview or that, that Pellegrini has obviously given with Pete Howard, your colleague, this week, where he, quoting Pellegrini, he said, we don't see much the opponent. We tried to follow our principle and our style. I, I guess I was going to ask you if you knew what he meant by that, whether that meant that we sort of set up to play our own game and that's, you, you know, we are more worried about how we set up and we are going to go out with our plan or whether he kind of meant, well, we don't really analyse the opponent that much. Uh, I think he, I think he meant um, the the former of what you said there. Really, I think he was trying to say that uh, that they 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 have their own way of playing. They've got their own plans, and and they kind of want to stick to that. And he made the point after the game uh, against Everton that actually, I think he was keen to make the point because obviously he's been saying continually. I, I think this way of playing is is well, basically is is working. Um, and, and will deliver a better result soon. And he wanted to make the point after Everton that uh, he certainly said, well, I haven't waved a magic wand. We've not done anything different. It's exactly the same. This is basically, this is what I've been saying. The whole time I've been saying it's not quite as bad as you're all making out. Uh, actually, this, this is the proof of the pudding because we basically, I sent them out to do the same sort of things and use largely the sort of same group of players by you know one or two minor changes um and and look what's happened i kind of you know it wasn't like a i told you so it wasn't really said in that way but i think he was keen to get across this point that he has said all the time that i know a lot of people have sort of said when he has been making this this case that actually i want us to keep going as we are i want us to keep playing the way we are well, you know, you must be deluded because these results aren't good enough to keep playing this in this same style. He's been absolutely adamant about it. And uh, and so today, I think it was a chance for him to come out and say, well, look, this is the style that I'm talking about. Yes, perhaps we haven't completely pulled it together in, in quite such a comprehensive manner as we have today. But but this is this is the style that I'm talking about and the one that I, I, I we're striving for and that I believe will work and I certainly thought that was interesting because it does um it, it really did just underline the fact the fact that he came out and didn't attempt to take some credit for it where credit isn't due if you like he didn't attempt to say well yes we've been doing x y and z in training oh yeah I've really given him a kick up the bum this week or after Liverpool yeah this no it was so well it was just more of the same it does make you wonder if, you know, if Pellegrino is talking about the fact that he's stuck to his guns, that they're not playing any differently than they were before. It, it does make you wonder how much that's about confidence and psychology and application from the players rather than, than a tactical switch or a formation change or whatever. Because we saw the same 4-2-3-1 that we've seen so many times before. And I think uh, before the game, people were like, oh, no, not another 4-2-3-1. Um, and, and, you know, and it definitely worked. So is it... Is it uh, and, is it about confidence in the sense that we've seen players that haven't, I say scarred, it seems a bit unfair, but haven't had the same negative experiences. So your Hoybiers and your Austins, uh, and, you know, they've really been a breath of fresh air for the team. And, you know, I would just wondered how much they'd kind of refreshed things for people and, and they kind of came in with a different attitude. With a bit of a point to prove, yeah. 
Yeah, well, as much as Pellegrino um, did praise him, I, I've got I've got the quote, the exact quote here in front of me now. He said, "It's something that happens in football. I didn't do any special things; just kept believing, keeping going, and we created a lot of chances, like a lot of games at home, when I think we deserved a lot of points. But sometimes it's like this: you can score four goals like today." And sometimes, like against Huddersfield, not. But this is part of football. So I think that just underlines what I'm trying to say, really, is that he, he obviously feels that this was a sort of vindication of the way he's been playing because he obviously is saying, well, look, I've kept saying it's going well. And we're not doing anything different. Yeah, we scored four goals this time. Other times, I think we've deserved to score more than we have, and we, we haven't. So, I yeah, I, I just I think that's the point he's he's trying to make. Yeah, so I, don't, I, I think he would probably not want it to be seen as, well, you finally relented and played Hoiberg and Austin, and that was the difference. I think he's trying oh, no, to sell that it. Oh, no, that wasn't what I was trying to say. I was more saying that, that was their, their positive psychology to the same formations helpful in, in his, his plan going forward? If you see what I mean, I wasn't trying to suggest that he changed things and that was why it worked, but more that he was playing the same way, but those were players with a positive attitude towards the game that perhaps people that have experienced these frustrating results might not have had. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, you can't rule that out, can you? I mean, the mentality of the dressing room is is always a very, very delicate thing. Um, it's always very fragile. And when things are going not so well, as they, they have been recently, when the pressure's on, that's when uh, the cracks start to appear. And some of the, the if there are characters in there that uh, perhaps not the best under a lot of pressure, then that's when they tend to hide. And if there are some that thrive on pressure, that's when they tend to really up their game and, and play uh, really well and try and try and lift their teammates and carry the team. So there could be something in that. It's very, it's, it's quite hard to know. They certainly played as a team, whatever it was, whether it was that or something else, they certainly played with the team, like a team with a lot more verve today. But yeah, I mean, maybe they did have a positive influence, but I would like to believe whether naively or not, that it that it was a collective thing in the same way that Liverpool was a collective shocker, uh, especially after that second goal went in. Collectively, this was this was a really great performance. I thought. I don't think you can put to one side how important the game was for Pellegrino today in terms of I think almost splitting the fan base. You know that that could have got quite nasty and ugly for him if we'd uh, lost against Everton. But put, putting the players and Pellegrino to one side, Lucy. Obviously, the board is starting to get a bit more criticism or have over the last few weeks. I think, obviously, fans getting frustrated at a variety of things within the club. In, in terms of the board and Les Reed and such, like obviously Adam and I spoke about it a fair bit in, in length last week's podcast, but do you feel the criticism that they're getting is, is justified in uh, places? Um, yeah, I think partially. I think some of the criticism has been kind of ridiculous. Uh, they replaced a the manager which the fan base was calling out to be sacked. And, it, you know, and it's been difficult to start with. And now they've done that. But apparently that was the wrong decision. I mean, that you know, there are some inconsistencies which I think are unfair on the on the board. I think perhaps with hindsight, <laughs> um, Van Dyke saying might not have been the best idea. Um, I was firmly in the Van Dyke staying camp because I think, you know, there was an important point of principle to be made. But given that we struggled to score goals and I don't think we're going to be scoring four every week are we um <laughs> and given that i think when he came back there were questions about his commitment and interest in the, in the team possibly you know the board kind of didn't stick to its guns in terms of that whole you know selling to invest 
um, theory and, and perhaps, you know, in a way, actually, our criticisms of the board kind of got to them um, and, and maybe unfairly so. I do have questions about the recruitment recently. Um, I don't think we necessarily strengthened where we needed to this summer and the previous summer, you know, in terms of losing Mane and Pella and not really uh, replacing effectively. I'm particularly Pella because Gabby Dean can come until January and even then he's a very different kind of striker. Mm, yeah. um, I think there are questions there. Uh, and, and I guess Bufal was the closest we got to a Mane and he's a different kind of player and also was injured until, what, late November or so. So I, th- I think there were questions about the play. I don't think there's questions so much about the qualities, but in terms of whether they've ha- always had the right priorities. Um, it was great. You know, Lamine has had a great impact since he came but I'm not sure he was necessarily a priority. And I think there was, a, a, you know, with good reason, a lot of demand for attacking recruits, given how we'd struggled to score at the end of last season. Um, and that didn't really come to the fore. So I think, you know, some of those recruitment issues I do have questions about. But I think this whole crisis in confidence, as if the board... I mean, I mean the way some fans go on, you'd think the board wanted us to be relegated. Um, I think... <laughs> There is a certain cynicism about the board, which isn't fair. Um, and as for this um, harking back for the days of Cortese, um, I've, I've got serious questions about that, particularly given uh, that uh, I'm pretty sure Cortese um, appointed Reed. Um, there, there is did, some yeah. kind of slight irony in, in those calls. And I think a lot of these troubling um, performances recently have led people to kind of look back to the past because we've had such a good few years um, and Pochettino and Koeman, uh, and and I guess Cortese is somehow linked with that. So people have been talking about Koeman coming back, and we're talking about Cortese coming back, and there's been a kind of strange reaction to it all, which I don't think reflects fairly on on both the manager now and uh, and the board, really. No, I totally agree with that, and I think, as you say, we, we seem to have this uh, sort of element of our fan base that literally, you know, if Luke Shaw's available, we want Luke Shaw back, Morgan Schneider, etc., etc. I think we all have to agree that we are where we are and we have to look forward and I think you know Adams mentions it to me several times that the, the board are obviously keen to give Pellegrino a chance and give him some time we are 13 games into the season and whilst it's been frustrating disappointing as you say they obviously want the best for the club and they I think you're right. They they have listened to the club um, to the fans, sorry, numerous times. I think about Puel and about sort of the Van Dyke saga. I you know I, I won't mention with who, but I certainly had some communication with some people about it, and I think it was very uh, adamant that they weren't going to sell him in the summer, whether that changes in January or not. But I, I know um, sort of in, in terms of obviously where we go from here they're going to realise that we need some investment in January. And I guess you hope, Adam, as we've discussed before, that they're going to think, right, these are the two or three gaps that we really need to get some players in, whether they sell Van Dyke or not. And Les Reed and Ross Wilson will be working hard on that. Yeah, well, they should be. I think I think Lucy's just spoke really, really well and probably sums up what a lot of people uh, feel overall. And yeah, in terms of the recruitment, I, I would tend to agree as well in that actually they went through a phase where pretty much everything they touched turned to gold. I mean, everybody they signed pretty much was a hit. They tend to talk in football as if your signings are either a, they're a hit or a, or a miss, basically. And they had a they had a lot of hits, successive hits, in a short space of time. And then the more recent record, I would suggest probably since Paul Mitchell left, uh, coincidence or otherwise, is more checkered. It's more there's been some hits and there's been some misses and some fairly big misses as well. 
that's more in line with what you would expect from most football clubs, in fairness. And that's the one point I've always made about um, Saints is all this, I don't mean to do them down, but all this talk about the black box and, and this fantastic recruitment and things like that. They're, they're good and they do a lot of due diligence. They do a lot of hard work, but they're not doing things that other clubs haven't done in the past or, or are not doing they just are doing things in a in a you know in their own in their own manner but they've not reinvented the wheel ultimately the successful signing of a player still comes down to a personal decision on what players you want to spend money on how much they're worth and then a whole variety of factors come into play when they arrive as to whether they actually work out or not not all of them based just purely on their their talent or ability or value for money or anything like that so it is a difficult and a fine art to to try and get right. And in terms of January, I think it's early to be talking about it, but I, I wouldn't honestly be surprised to see quite a lot of movement in the Saints squad in January. Traditionally, they don't like doing business in January, really, if they can help it, both buying and selling. Um, so <laughs> I, I think it's something they would rather not do. But I, I actually suspect that this year there might actually be a fair bit of, of movement and we might be seeing a slightly different looking squad and different looking team come the 1st of February, which would be an unusual thing for Saints, but it's just a, it's just a sense I get at this stage. We're going to quickly preview the Manchester City and Bournemouth games that are coming up in the next seven days. I was thinking earlier, Lucy, maybe we could just give them a 2-0 win now, Man City, and sort of keep some form of respectability. But maybe after the game today, I'm feeling a, a little bit more buoyed. But I, I, it's obviously a tough place to go, the Etihad. Yeah, I, I think, as I said before, I think it will be a moral question of, of attitude, of not showing what we saw against Liverpool, of that kind of you know, disappearing act, really. Um, so I think, you know, we shouldn't expect much. I, I think 2-0 from you is optimistic, uh, <laughs> given the way they, they've played recently. Although you know Huddersfield gave them a good, good game today, but there it was you know it's a very different scenario. Um, so yeah, no, I think we shouldn't worry too much about City um, and 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 concentrate on you know the, the attitudes and ideas rather than rather than the result. Yeah, I should add that's not my prediction by the way, but there we go. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> um, Adam Adam will be waiting for that with bated breath, I'm sure. Um, what do you think we need to do to, to go up there, Adam? I mean, is it a case of parking the bus a little bit and just trying to frustrate them, trying to get a nil-nil or something like that? Easier said than done. Yeah, absolutely. There's no point in going up there and trying to play them at their own game, is there? I mean, you're going to the chances are you're going to get absolutely hammered if you do that. You've got to uh, do. Uh, do a much play a much more defensive game. You've got to be patient um, and just hope you get a chance. Basically, you've got to play at Man City the way that teams like Burnley and West Brom and such like have come and played uh, at St Mary's this season. You've got to come and be prepared to sit very deep, not try and keep the uh, close the space between the lines, not allow them space in behind or out wide. Easier said than done, given the players that they've got, obviously, and then hope that you're obviously going to get a few breaks. You might get a few set pieces. Uh, you never know. You might, if you can uh, draw them out enough, if, if the game goes on long enough and you've held them long enough and they start to commit more and more men forward, maybe you can get a breakaway and a counter-attack. Um, that's, I, I think that's really the only way to go. They look so supremely good this year. I think that to do anything else, to attempt to press them really high up the pitch would just uh, be asking for 
pretty sizable trouble really so i think that's all you can do is go there and give that a good go and and see what transpires so we're going to have a quick prediction then obviously adam i'm going to give you some quick credit here i know you said it would be 2-1 today so you were miles off but you did say we'd win so uh, well done finally on the board there so well well done Thank you, and thank you finally for giving me the credit that I deserve. <laughs> cool. Right, in terms of Man City then, Lucy, I'm going to start with you. Prediction? I think 3-0. Cool. Adam? I <laughs> yeah, I think I think City will win. I'm going to go 2-0. Uh, I'm uh, I'm optimistic Saints will put up a good showing up there, but um, yeah, I think in the end City will just be a bit a bit too powerful for them. So um, yeah, 2-0, 2-0 City win. Um, I've gone for 3-0 as well, Lucy, the same as you. Not not necessarily any reflection of us, but I just think they are a top side. You know they're going to create lots of chances. And I think even if they don't create lots of chances, they've got well-cast players that are going to, you know, they often only need one chance to sit the ball in the net. So I'm going for 3-0, but that's probably more about City than it is about us. But I, I think we all hope that Saints can go out there with a bit of renewed confidence and uh, give them a good game and come away um, with a bit more respectability than they might have done. So, yeah, so we'll see what happens. I think we could play very well and still lose 3-0. Totally, totally. Absolutely, absolutely. No, totally agree. (laughs) To finish the podcast, we'll have a look at uh, Bournemouth next weekend. Lucy, Bournemouth are a club that I've always liked. I think they've done really well. They've obviously come up to the Premier League with a a good, honest group of players and a, a really talented young manager in Eddie Howe. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Because there's been all this talk of a, of a South Coast derby. Uh, I think the media love to play that one up. And I think I think some fans have, have sort of got into it. But I know I've always always liked Bournemouth, and I will. I think I'll always like Bournemouth. You know, they play football in a positive way. Um, they don't have. I mean, they've spent quite a lot of money. I'm not sure they've always spent it in the right way, and so they don't have a, a great team. I don't think. And Eddie Howe does very well to get them playing a certain way. I think Callum Wilson's been. At, a great return for them uh, recently sort of hat trick obviously last week and um, you know that'll be something for us to look out for because I think he's that kind of very raw uh, direct talent that, that gets that gets goals in this league I think it'll be a challenging match I don't expect us to uh, roll them over by any means they're not like us to roll over many teams um, <laughs> but um, I'm feeling optimistic about that one if we play like we've played today I think I think we could get get a win but it really depends whether this has been a flash in the pan or whether we're going to go back to that kind of slight rigid negative football we saw before. Um, so in a way, I think Bournemouth will tell us a lot about where we are going forward um, in terms of whether, as I say, this Everton game was a one-off or whether it's um, Pellegrino making genuine progress with the team and 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 it's more of a barometer that, than the City game will be, I think. Exactly. It's about putting sort of performances together now, isn't it? Ad- Adam, Lucy's right. Obviously, it's a tough game. Bournemouth have kept, what, three clean sheets in a, in a row, which obviously before today would have been a bit of a worry. But I guess assuming that the City game doesn't go to plan, i.e. we come away with a t- defeat, then that's obviously going to put some significant sort of emphasis on going to Bournemouth and getting a decent result. Yeah, and I agree with Lucy that actually that's the greater barometer of where Saints are at the moment uh, is when they play teams like Bournemouth. But then we we also mustn't forget that uh, in this in this run, and we spoke about it last week, but uh, after the Liverpool game, this run of hard fixtures, there are a few games in there which are winnable, uh, and Bournemouth away is one of them. Then we've had the Everton game, you've got Leicester at home, and Huddersfield at home as well. That look that look like the more winnable matches of this run um 
So, yeah, therefore, I, I would expect if Man City has been a defeat that, that, that there'll be a little bit of feeling of pressure again. I, I don't think uh, the point I made today in a tweet after the game was uh, sort of addressing the people who sort of said about relegation. And while I'm not dismissing dismissing it, obviously, I said to, when we talked about it at the beginning, at the very, very beginning of the season, I think episode one of the podcast, uh, I said, well, I, I think that Saints wouldn't get dragged into that kind of issue because I think they'll beat the teams at the bottom. And that uh, has been the case. If you look at the, the four wins and a draw against the bottom, as their record against the bottom five this season, that that, that won't be the case. And, but they still need to pick up points against uh, more points against uh, teams that are either going to be around them or below them. And Bournemouth fall into that category of being around them or below them. So, yeah, it will be probably another fairly significant game uh, with the added um, bonus of it being something of a South Coast match. Is it a derby? I don't think it's probably a derby, but it's at least a, some sort of rivalry. Um, yeah, and I, it, it will be tough. I tend to agree again with what Lucy said. I don't, I don't, I don't look at Bournemouth and think, wow, they're a, they're a great team, but I do admire the way that they do things. I also think that the one bonus they've got is that even though they're scoring sometimes it's intermittent, they actually have always seemed to have got goals in their team. And that's kind of the one thing that you always feel, well, if you've got goals, then you're always in with a chance of, of winning any match. And Bournemouth are like that. They might not score goals sometimes, and they might score three or four for a few games in a row. They seem to, they seem to be a bit like that sometimes. So uh, it'll be difficult for Saints, but I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. I mean, I... I just I hoped that the the water the Liverpool game sorry would be a watershed moment, and I feel like maybe uh, with the Everton win it, it has the potential to be the Man City timing of the Man City fixture is unfortunate coming in between, but I just hope that they'll as we've said well, they'll give it a good go, and then Bournemouth will be the one where they can really really crack on and have a a really good go at that game, and I'm I'm fairly optimistic they can get a good result. Right, predictions for Bournemouth then, Lucy, starting with you. Um, an optimistic 2-1 win. Good, like that. Adam? 3-1. Which way? Oh, Saints, I think. <laughs> I, I, I've, got, I've got a good feeling for them, actually. I, I just, yeah, um, I mean, it might be wildly optimistic, and I do appreciate that one, one good game doesn't uh, doesn't make the season, and, and also I'm more than aware that they're not going to play another team as bad as Everton for probably many a long year. Um <laughs> Like I said, I think they would have done well not to have beaten them, but I still, I'm still fairly positive for them, and, and yeah, I certainly hope from their point of view that that will be a game that they'll get three points. Good stuff. Well, I'm going to be positive as well, Adam, and go for a one-one draw. Oh wow, you, <laughs> Mister Positive, <laughs> oh, Mister yeah. po- that I, is I, as positive I, as you get. Control wow. yourself. <laughs> well, I feel, you know, as I say, I mean, we've just won four-one. If I don't go crazy today, I'm never going to go crazy. No, that's right, and that that is crazy. That's crazy stuff. Good stuff. All right. Well, let let's hope if if that works out, I think we take three points, wouldn't we? From uh, I'm, I'm working on your predictions here, not mine, but I think we take uh, three points from Man City and Bournemouth away, wouldn't we? So that would work out nicely. Well, yeah, and I, I said well, if uh, if if the games against the bigger teams were to to go against Saints in in this long run, which I know we won't know until it's it's over, but those four more winnable matches, you really in an ideal world to be completely comfortable and to still be looking up the table and at your chances of being upwardly mobile in the second half of the season, you really want to try and given the situation they've been in, try and take 10 points from those games. So uh, I would say, so if you've got, they've got three on the board already, 
Um, I guess the obvious thing to do would be to draw Bournemouth and win the two home games. But if they get a win against Bournemouth, then they've got a really great chance of getting those ten points. And then even if even if those the teams the games against the big teams uh, end up in uh, end up in defeat, then I still think that they've got to have a real chance of having a go at a reasonable top half finish next year. Which given where the season has been and what we were talking about only a few weeks ago or even last week um, is actually something to, to potentially be a bit optimistic about. And I think what might actually help is that, you know, we were talking about how we've had a lack of games because there's been no Europe and there's been no League Cup. Uh, the, the kind of uh, the, the fixture schedule over the Christmas period, which I know managers love to complain about, but um, probably we don't because <laughs> it, it gives us a chance not to dwell too much, I think, on performances that don't go our way or results that aren't what we wanted and, and gives us a chance to keep, you know, momentum going in, in good times. Um, so I wonder if while the Champions League teams might complain or whatever, um, there is something to benefit from from a hectic winter schedule. I think, uh, yeah, 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 I, think I, I agree. I think I think that Pellegrino needs some games. I think that's ultimately the big, as, as I sort of hinted that earlier, that's the big problem, that, that barely playing is not ideal for a new manager and especially one that's walking into a difficult situation and, and one that's trying to obviously impart a certain style onto the team. You want to be playing regularly. You don't want to play a game once a week for three weeks and then lose all your players for another two weeks. Then you come back and you play a few more games once a week and then they all go off again for another fortnight, which is basically what he's had three times over so far this season. He needs a run of games and needs to, and needs to get the team feeling like a team. Um, and, and playing like a team, and, and I think I completely agree. I, I think that this this run of games will kind of be we'll, we'll, after this. I think we'll see really what Pellegrino is all about, for better or worse. I think you're right as well. Sorry, oh, sorry, okay. Lucy. I was just going to say I think you're right as well in that uh, because of the fixtures you look at and some of the teams we're playing. You know, if we do take the odd tonking, which obviously you hope we won't, then at least you know you've got a game in three days or four days to, to, to sort of turn it around and get that that result out of the system and out of the sort of fans. And yeah, I was just about to say um, it's kind of. As much as it's important for the team, I think it's also helpful for the fan base in that we don't spend two weeks dwelling on a bad performance. Exactly. Um, and, and, you know, I think there's not much has been said about the atmosphere amongst the fans and how that's not necessarily helping the issues with confidence in the team because things have been quite toxic at St Mary's at times. Um, and I think, yeah, people not dwelling on those bad performances, but thinking ahead, you know, and moving on. I mean, I'm, I think I'm phrasing this much more positively than I would have if things had <laughs> continued as they had. Um, and I will caveat that my Bournemouth prediction is based on the idea that we, we carry on on this po positive trajectory. Uh, but no, I think, yeah, it, it's not just important for the, 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 the team, but the, the fans as well. Thanks for listening to Total Saints Podcast. Lucy, it's been a pleasure having you on the show and uh, hopefully you'll come on and join us again in the future. I'd love to. It's been great fun. I'm sure everyone will enjoy listening to you. If you don't follow Lucy, then uh, she's on Twitter at Lucy Heinert. She's well worth a follow. As I said at the start, lots of uh, interesting chat and uh, certainly more than often finger on the pulse. So certainly look forward to having you again on the, the future, Lucy. Adam, as ever, thanks for joining us. I know it was unscheduled, as I say, but always good to get your input. So thanks again for joining us. And uh, are, you, are you going up to Man City or are you off on leave this week now? No, no, no I actually am missing Man City now. I really, I really am. Right. I'm not, honestly not going to Manchester, but I'll be around for Bournemouth again next week. Okay. So, uh, yeah, a bit of a weird change of plans, but that's uh, where the cookie crumbles sometimes. So we can definitely trust you on that, right? 
Yeah, well, you never know with me, do you? <laughs> well, you? You can't, you can't trust me as far as you can throw me. Obviously, I'm a journalist, so <laughs> that's what everybody tells. That's what everybody says about journalists, isn't it? I think everybody hates yeah, journalists. Yeah, no comment. Yeah, no comment. horrible. Yeah, no yeah. comment. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Well, no thanks to you both. Speak to you next time on Total Saints podcast, and even if it's for a few days, keep marching in. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the Talk Sport Fan Network. Talk Sport. Powered by fans.